What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. Matt is coming on in just a minute to talk some NBA playoffs and maybe a little NBA draft rumor mill. But before we get there, big oof for my boy Luca and the Dallas Mavericks down 0-3, a seemingly insurmountable hole to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, tough, tough watch last night for Game 3, Mavericks at home. That typically seems like the type of spot where the home team's going to get one. And now it's uh, no team in the NBA has ever come back from being down 0-3. So that's rough, but uh, still a huge Luka fan. Great postseason for him. We're going to talk about him a little bit. We're going to get to the Miami and Boston series and then close up with some draft stuff. So it's going to be a fun one. Let's go. Matt is here, ready to talk about some conference finals. Ready to make myself look good. <laughs> We're about 15 minutes away from the Celtics in Heat game four, starting in Boston, which must win game for the Celtics at this point. You can't go down 3-1 and then go back to Miami. No. Especially like if Jimmy comes back, if he doesn't play today. You can't come back down one three and have to win three in a row with Jimmy. No, that's, it's too tough. Uh, especially the way that the heat have been playing. I guess yeah. since that game is starting in a little bit, we can actually, we'll start with Boston and Miami. I mean, this is basically the series has kind of played out the way I expected it to so far. Miami's been really tough on Boston and the different wing defenders they have and the depth that they have as wing defenders is really creating issues for the Celtics. And Jimmy's just been excellent. Uh, 26.6 rebounds, three assists, two steals, and one block in this series. And that's including the fact that he only played 18 minutes in game three. So he's been excellent. Uh, Lowry, Oladipo, all these wing guys they have like, the Celtics are having trouble because Miami has basically identified that they can't dribble. So they're using all these like crazy athletic guys with quick hands to pressure them all the way up the court. And it's creating huge problems for the Celtics right now. Yeah. And like all the credit in the world to like how good of a game Jalen Brown had in game three, he was largely one of the only reasons they had a shot towards the end of that game. But Victor Oladipo was terrorizing him that entire game. He stole the ball four times. Yeah, as good as Jalen Brown was from a scoring perspective, he was also that bad from a dribbling the ball perspective. Yep. He had seven turnovers alone. And Boston lost the turnover battle 23-8. to eight. And I think a lot of people probably look at that game and go, well... You know, Boston lost the turnover battle 23 to 8. The Heat st were stealing the ball all over the place. They had three guys with four steals, including Oladipo. Also, like Lowry and Bam also had four steals. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Boston fans would look at that as kind of like a sign of hope and say, hey, we were down 20. We lost the turnover battle by a bunch, and we still got it to within one at one point and then only lost by six. So if we play our game and don't turn over the ball, 
then we should win. Well, there's two problems with that. One, not turning over the ball against the Miami Heat is a lot easier said than done. Mm-hmm. And two, I, in my opinion, really what happened is that while Jimmy and Bam were both in the game, the Heat were dominating them. Yeah. And then Jimmy got hurt, and all of a sudden it's a different game. And it's not just that, you know, Jimmy got hurt and they didn't have him for half the game. They were without their top two scores. They didn't have Tyler Hero either. So, yeah, like, good on you for making a push and making it a game. It doesn't mean nearly as much when you do that without the other team's top two scores. Honestly, it's a team that has struggled to score even with those two guys in the lineup at some point. So you take those guys out. I mean, it's going to be tough, but Jimmy's been excellent in this series. Like I said, averaging 26 points per game through three games. He had 40 in the first game and then obviously only played about half of the last one. So the average is probably down a little bit from where it should be. I'm at the point where I think there are very few guys in the league that I'm taking over Jimmy if I'm trying to win a championship. Like, think about if they finish this series off, this is going to be the third, or no, the second championship they've made it to in like three years because they went to the bubble finals. Yeah. And then, you know, tough thing getting swept by Milwaukee last year, but then reloaded, came back this year, and now they're in position to potentially make the finals. And Jimmy's just so good in the playoffs. Like, I feel like he doesn't get the shine that other superstars get because he doesn't put up the big gaudy regular season stats. But if I'm just trying to win a championship, I I mean, there's probably like between three and five guys I'm taking ahead of him in the league. When you talk about what makes a player in the NBA really get a lot of fanfare and attention it's usually either they're super flashy got like great handles they jump out of the gym you know think of like you know the Kyrie Irvings and all that or they're hyper efficient like Kevin Durant like Honestly, KD probably was like the player that spearheaded a lot of this change in in the current game, even before Steph. While Jimmy is neither of those, he is exactly what you want in the playoffs, and that is an absolute fucking dog. He is, on the defensive end, he's going to make all five players on the other side of the ball go through hell trying to play against him while he's not the hyper efficient or super flashy scorer on the other end he's still a very good ball handler very good passer and very accomplished scorer he is not afraid to let the rest of his team do what they are good at doing so that he can win games that is a very important mindset I tweeted this at the beginning of the playoffs and then I retweeted it after they beat the Hawks. A lot of people were sleeping on the heat. And I think the reason that the heat were really slept on coming into the playoffs is because they don't have 
the marquee name. They don't have like the exciting, like the Kevin Durant or the Giannis Antetokounmpo or the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But what they do have is a guy who is like low key, a top 10 NBA player, especially in the playoffs. And also just like, think of the attitudes on that team. Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, PJ Tucker, like guys who would rather die than lose a basketball game. Yeah. And while it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet, these are the type of guys you want to go to war with. And I think that's what we've seen in the playoffs is just like, no matter what gets thrown at them, they're just grinding through it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people really kind of forget how Jimmy Butler burst onto the scene in the NBA. He was on the bulls. If I remember correctly, he was a second round pick. Like he wasn't, he wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time. And then Derek Rose gets hurt. And he's forced into action. And the drop-off wasn't that big. He wound up carrying that team a lot. And the fact that he was that young, quite frankly, probably not ready to play that kind of role in the NBA and still did it, should tell you he's just a baller. Like, there's just certain guys that all the other things and logic around it, it doesn't matter. The dude just plays good ball. That's Jimmy Butler. And that's a guy that you want on your team every single day. He reminds me of Chris Paul in the way that everywhere he goes is just better for having him. The thing with Jimmy is he like really grinds on people. So he kind of like overstays his welcome a little bit, especially if the team's not winning, but like Chicago was better for having him. He goes to Minnesota and Minnesota even made the playoffs for the first time in forever with him. And then, you know, he MF'd his way out of there to go to Philly. Uh, But Philly, when they had him pushed that championship Toronto team to the absolute edge in a series, like literally one of the luckiest shots of all time bailing Toronto out that Kawhi shot that bounced 10 times on the rim. Like Joel Embiid was good in that series, but it was Jimmy Butler that was going toe to toe with Kawhi Leonard, like playoff MVP Kawhi Leonard. And now he goes to Miami and Miami, like I said, could be on their way to going to their second finals in three years. They've rebuilt this roster multiple times. And now they've kind of built one that really works around Jimmy with these other wing defenders who like, like I said, you would go to war with and then Bam Adebayo in the back line, who is one of the only centers that you can't play off the floor in the NBA playoffs. Like there's nothing you can do. He can guard one through five and he's versatile enough to be out there no matter what the opponent's lineup is. And he dominated Boston. Oh yeah. And game three, he killed them and he always kills them. Like he's always been a tough matchup for them. It feels like he has finally found a franchise that, fits his mindset and is building their roster with the intent of having guys on there who are not going to get flustered when Jimmy's going to Jimmy, you know, he's, he's rough around the edges, but that's also what makes him horrifying to play against. So you kind of want that. 
Yeah. And you think about it too, like brilliant coach down there with Eric Spolstra, one of the best coaches in the NBA, the culture of the team and the infrastructure of the team, like helps them survive things that other teams wouldn't survive. Like the end of the season, Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra almost got in a fist fight on the sidelines. Most teams would crumble, whether like the player is like, I don't want to be here anymore. The coach is pissed off. Like, but the way the heat are set up the infrastructure with Pat Riley and the culture that they've established, they just sweep that under the rug. And then they just go win two playoff series and go up two one in the conference finals. Like it's just a heat thing. And you think about like how many times they've rebuilt this team, the Dwayne Wade and Shaq team, the LeBron Wade and Chris Bosh team. And you would think like having LeBron and having Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh that when that was over, that franchise would be down for a long time while they rebuilt. And honestly, like it hasn't been that long. Nope. And they're already back at it and they've been back at it for a couple of years now. So it's just, it's an impressive feat of team building. And like, they're, they're so good on the margins getting guys like Gabe Vincent and Max Struss, who both guys just kind of bounced around a little bit, like picking up guys like, PJ Tucker and being smart enough to go and get Jimmy Butler from the 76ers. Yeah. Kind of grabbing Victor Oladipo off the scrap heap. I mean, everyone else had pretty much left him for dead, which blew my mind, but he has been vital for them off their bench. There are certain teams where like, if you want to rehab your value, that's like the type of team you want to go to. And Miami is hundred percent. One of those teams. Yeah. You know, I don't think Victor is going to get like a max contract or anything. Uh, I think he'll probably get paid this offseason, though, like a good amount, at least to come in and be a defensive stopper. Because yep. like his, his scoring is not where it used to be, like where he was like legitimately all NBA caliber player. But his defense has been out of control in the postseason uh, and especially against the Celtics. Yeah, going back to his roots. And it's like it's easy for these guys to pick on the Celtics to some degree. Because, like, I think the thing that this series has taught me so far, the thing that the Celtics are really missing is the proverbial adult in the room. The, like, they need that true point guard to, like, settle down the team and initiate the offense. Yeah. Because while some of these guys, like Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum, are good playmakers for what they are, they don't have a real true point guard. Like, Marcus Smart is not a true point guard. Marcus Smart is the type of dude I want on my team. Like he's another one of those guys. He is a dog. He's a dude you want to go to war with. He's not a point guard. He's a point guard. I want as my sixth man. And if he's in my starting lineup, I want, I want that Chris Paul. I want that Chauncey Billups. I, I don't want him leading the attack with all of my best players on the floor. And this is their problem because I 100% agree with that. Like if he's your starting two guard and like your secondary ball handler or like your tertiary ball handler, I think you're in a really good spot. Yeah, you are right as rain at that point. Yeah, but if he's the primary playmaker and play initiator, then you are in trouble in a series like this. And this is why we see them try to initiate offense through Jason Tatum so much. And while Jason Tatum's playmaking has come a long way, he's not a super elite level playmaker either. Like he's better as I'm going to make plays off of like, I'm going to catch off the ball, make a read, make a play. He's not like 
the guy who should be bringing the ball up the court. And that's where they're struggling is like Jalen Brown can't dribble at this point. Like I've never seen dribbling this bad from a guy who's that good. I feel like Vic got in his head. Like he's not that bad. It was. I feel like at a certain point it got in his head and it just went downhill. At this point, like who knows how that's going to play out in future games now. Something was going on. And like, I, I think that you saw this a couple of years ago, the Celtics tried to fix this problem by spending a shitload of money on Kemba Walker. Yeah. Which obviously didn't work out, but like, that's in a way, the type of guy they need who can like settle them down when they're turning the ball over like left and right. Cause like right now you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who are good, like secondary playmakers. And then Marcus smart, who, when things are not going right, he's going to push harder. Yeah. It's just his mentality, which is not always a bad thing, but like, I would just really love them to have, you know, that Chris Paul type of player. Who's like, okay, guys, like we just turned the ball over three times in a row. We're going to settle down. We're going to slow it down a little bit. We're going to initiate our offense. Like everybody just calm down. It's going to be okay. I just feel like they need that type of guy right now. There's something to understanding that, yeah, you you need a bucket, but there's enough time left where you don't need a bucket in the first 10 seconds of shot clock. Once you see the ball go through the hoop, all your other shots become that much easier. It, I mean, it's easy when you're Chris Paul and you've had 18 bazillion reps in NBA games, but they need that. It's really unfortunate for the Celtics that Kemba didn't work out uh, for whatever reason, whether it was injury, whatever, but they're running out of options at this point. Yeah. To be fair though, trading Kemba and getting Al Horford back has been a big boom oh, yeah. for them. Like Al Horford is such a huge part of their defense. Um, it's yep. such a like good floor general for them. Mm-hmm. I just, I think like, you know, they, their guards are Marcus smart and Peyton Pritchard and uh, Derek white. And like, none of those guys are the one guy I think they really need, especially in the series. You, you know, what's funny is that I think, the closest thing they have to that let's slow it down and kind of get methodical, get things in order type of player on their roster. It probably is Al Horford. Yeah. I mean, he, he is the elder statesman, like adult in the room type of guy. He just doesn't play the position they need him to play. play point guard. Yeah. But we're saying point Horford in game four. Is that the adjustment? No one can stop that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that the Heat did in game three was they got super physical with Boston, like early. And I think the other thing that kind of happened is like it caught Boston off guard. And that's why you saw them have that horrible first quarter. Yeah. And then as they got used to it, they got a little bit better, flowed a little bit better into it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the adjustments are tonight. They, they got to try to find a way to get PJ Tucker off Tatum because that was a tough matchup for him in the last game. and obviously like Tatum fluctuating again, uh, three of 14. 
which is funny because yeah. I just wanted to throw out there. We did that podcast where we talked about how he's not a top 10 player. And then he went and dropped 46 points on the Bucks, And I got all sorts of text and Twitter things like, oh, he's not a top 10 player. And then like, but this is why he's not as it's the consistency yeah. aspect. And we won't rehash that whole argument again, but like he keeps doing this. We both reacted to the, the same tweet today on Twitter, putting out like all the, you know, point totals he had in that buck series and it's like yeah and he shot under 45 percent in three of the seven games in the series like very inconsistent when he's putting up high points that doesn't necessarily mean he's not taking 30 shots to get to 30 points yeah and he's, he's gonna need to have a huge game tonight too because smart is out and jimmy and all those guys are playing the only person who's out for the heat is Tyler Hero. So it's going to be a tough, it's an uphill battle for them without Marcus Smart. Like we saw in game one when they didn't have Marcus Smart, what happened to them? It's easy for them to sit there and say, all right, well, we're just going to run a lot of stuff to get PJ Tucker off of Tatum. But we just went through and talked about like all of these guys that, that the Heat have that can also still be a problem for him. Well, this is the true problem with playing the Heat, and I didn't do a great job of outlining this when I was talking about this series coming up. Against the Bucks. even when Giannis or Drew Holiday would guard Jason Tatum, they were able to do a pick and get a switch onto like a Grayson Allen or a Wesley Matthews or whoever. You cannot do that against the Heat because you switch off of PJ Tucker and it's Jimmy Butler, or you switch off Butler and it's Victor Oladipo or it's Bam Adebayo, or it's like, they have, they have so many guys yeah, that you, you just can't, there isn't like a great matchup for you to take advantage of unless like a Duncan Robinson or a Tyler hero, or like a Gabe Vincent or one of those guys is out on the yeah. floor. Outside of Tyler hero, like none of those guys are getting a ton of minutes right now. Like Duncan Robinson's minutes have plummeted, I suspect for that exact reason, because they want to lean into the defense. You can't play him without him getting hunted. And also, yeah. like he sometimes justifies his poor defense by like how great he is at shooting. But he's looked like a deer in the headlights in the playoffs. Yeah. Like the five minutes that he's been in per game are a bad five minutes. Uh yep which is why he hasn't been playing a ton. And I I mentioned that I thought if they could get him right, that that's like their ceiling because they need more shooting out there sometimes. I mean, it's just not working. I I will say in fairness to him, it is hard to get your shot going in live game action. If you're getting five minutes per game. So I, I don't disagree with the decision because you need to win games. And if he's playing 15 minutes per game and still not hitting shots, then you're fucked. That's when you start getting into real problems. So um, all that said, I do think Boston's going to bounce back and find a way to take this game tonight. I I thought this series was going deep the whole time. I I just saw way too many people picking Boston in like five or Boston in six and I think it's either going to be like heat in six or seven or Boston in seven. Like I, I think that this one's going a little bit further. 
I'm probably going Heat in six. I don't think this goes to seven. I don't know which game they will take, but I suspect that the Celtics will take one more because I don't think it's entirely unrealistic that both Brown and Tatum blow up and they get good contributions from Horford. Maybe Smart comes back later on and has another big game. That game two that they won, like, yeah, it was a blowout, but like it was a blowout where like literally all their players were perfect. Yeah, they they need their guys to be closer to that game than game three. I just I feel like if they're gonna take a game in this series, it has to be this one. Yeah. In Boston. Yeah, you can't you can't go home and lose both games in Boston. Like you, you just can't do that. Uh, I mean, you can, but they're not going to forgive you at home. No, like it's, that's going to be tough. And that would be a really tough end for a Celtics team that a lot of Boston fans have fallen in love with during this postseason. Uh, but also a Celtics team that I think got a little bit overhyped, a little bit overhyped after they beat an undermanned Milwaukee team. I mean, this is a Celtics fan base that has been waiting what probably feels like a much longer time than it has actually been for this team to make a run because obviously the talent is there. We've talked about it for years now, you and I. Um, And so they finally kind of got that sliver of hope and turned it into a much bigger piece of the pie than a sliver. I know it went from this team's really taking a step forward to we should be the favorites to win the championship very fast, <laughs> which is a Boston. It's a very Boston thing. I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day, but the Red Sox are on a winning streak right now. And I started talking about how we're going to kick the Yankees ass in the postseason. I was like, we're fucking coming for them. We're going to get the Yankees. And Carlos commented on it. He's like, this is the worst take I've ever seen. <laughs> I was like, shut up, Carlos. We're going. We're still like three games under five. I mean, but we're coming. Carlos doesn't have any room to talk about bad takes. I know. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's a, I'm not a Celtics fan, but it is like a very Boston thing that, like, even when your team is bad, like this past season with the Patriots, it was like, watch out. Hmm? Hmm? Patriots? Hmm? Got Bill Belichick, got Mac Jones. I think that's true of most fan bases though, that like once you get like a little glimmer of hope, like you, you take it to like the complete other end of the spectrum where you're like, yep. Greatest thing ever. This is going to sound like me being an asshole, but I do think that like, so there's like two mentalities in Boston. There's like the negative underdog, like, oh God, we're always going to lose. Like there's this, this old mentality, but there's also this mentality of like also kind of expecting to win because they've won so many championships in that city over the last 20 years or like not as much recently, but like from, you know, 2001 to 2020 or whatever it was that I do think there's just like when a team starts taking off, you're just like, yeah, this is it. We've been here so many times before we can do this. And it's just not always the case now that just because your team's good, they're going to win a championship. Like Tom Brady's not here anymore, guys. So, uh, but let's go on to the other series. One that I am very depressed about. 
I thought this was going to be a much better series than it's ended up being. Uh, Golden State up three to nothing after a 109 100 win in Dallas the other day. I mentioned this in the opener to the show, but man, I really, that was the game you really had to have if you're the Mavericks because yeah, yeah, no one's ever come back from being down three Oh in the NBA. No, Portland made a close one here, like a long time ago, like the Stoudemire years. I think there's been like two or three teams that were able to get it to a game seven. Yeah. After being down three, nothing, but they've, they all lost. So it's a, it's a very tough road back for a Dallas team that honestly is like, I watched a lot of the first three games. Dallas is just undermanned in this series. Like they're, they're just outmanned and outgunned. And while I think they have the best player in the series and Luca, it's just not enough. Even though Luca has been incredible. I said it before the series. Sometimes you just have Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean Steph's been phenomenal, <laughs> but if this was like one-on-one Luca and Steph, Luca has been better than Steph in this series well, to a degree. Yeah, I mean I think there's 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 other variables of how you have to evaluate one v one, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean they've both been great. Uh, I think that. We we all know that like Luca has been great, and we also all know that Luca is putting up absurd levels of points and everything else. Because if he doesn't, then that team is going to get blown out every single game. Yeah, this is the problem for Dallas. Luca's had back to back forty point games. Yeah, and they lost both. <laughs> and it's like I don't, I don't know what else he could do. It's reminiscent of when the Cleveland Cavaliers played the Golden State Warriors in the finals when the Warriors had Durant. And LeBron's just like, okay, I'm going to have 50, 20, and 20 every game. And Golden State's like, yeah, that's cool. You guys just lost by 30. While this Golden State team is not anywhere as close as good to the one that like Kevin Durant was on, it is a similar feeling to the older Golden State teams that won championships before Durant or won a championship before Durant. Yeah. Where it's just like, we have Steph and clay and pool and Wiggins and Looney is going to kill you guys. And then, Oh, better watch out. Like now Draymond is going to hit a three randomly for some reason, <laughs> which he's not good at. He's I will not- go to my grave with that. I will say that to his face. Well, th- this was the real problem is that he hit a three in the fourth quarter of game yeah. two. And I was like, this series is over. <laughs> I just turned the, I was like, <laughs> gotta turn the TV off. I was like, nope, that's it. But the Mavericks like really remind me of those James Harden Rockets teams where you're playing five out offense all the time and you're playing small ball yeah. and everybody's standing around and watching the one guy. And when you are not hitting threes around him, it's just not working. Like, it feels like Luka needs to score 50 or 60 to win these games instead of 40. And it's just an unrealistic expectation against a defense that quite frankly has been very good and very smart in their handling of Luka, even though he's torching them. Okay. Get your 40. You're going to need to score. The team's going to need to score more than 40 points in order to win. So like if they're shutting down everything else, it doesn't matter. And 
Brunson and maybe Dinwiddie are like the only other guys on that team that I think are good enough to potentially pose a problem. And I don't think any of them are good enough to pose a problem every night. Yeah, they're just, they're just not hitting their threes. And this is what happened in the Phoenix series is that they did what Houston used to try to do to Golden State, where they're like, we may not be as talented as you guys, but we're going to shoot 50 threes. And if we hit 40% of our threes, we're going to win just because of the math. Right. And against Phoenix, they hit 40% of their threes. Mm-hmm. They're hitting only 32% of their wide open threes in this series. And like, this was the same thing we saw with that Houston team. When those guys are not hitting their shots, you're just not going to win games. At some point, the well runs dry. Everyone knows that. Eventually, the well runs dry. I think it's got to be concerning when you win a series that you maybe weren't expected to win, but you're hitting 40% of your threes and you have to go on and play another series. Logically, it doesn't make sense to change that strategy, but you know that eventually the well will run dry. So the only chance to win is to do something different. And unfortunately at this point, that's kind of, that ship has sailed. They just don't have anything. They're, they're getting murdered in two ways. One is on the boards. They're getting annihilated because their centers consist of Powell and Maxi Kleba. And like Kavan Looney is decimating them. Oh yeah. Like we've got to the point in the playoffs where there are two centers that you cannot play off the floor, Bam Adebayo and Kavan Looney. (laughs) Cause he's been great. And the way that they've used him has been really smart. And so they're getting killed on the boards. Then also like their interior defense is just getting absolutely shredded. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but guess who the two leaders in playoff points in the paint are right now. For the entire playoffs. I'm afraid to guess. <laughs> it's Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Yep, that's that's kind of where I was leaning. <laughs> yeah. That is embarrassing. They are getting to the rim literally at will. Yeah. Like one of the best three-point shooting teams in history and a team that's like relied on threes for a very long time now in the Golden State oh, Warriors. Yeah they're just getting to the rim whenever they want to with their guards. And it's because like the guys you mentioned, like, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson are fine. Second and third options on offense. They can't play D they can't D these guys up. And then aside from that, you are playing Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney Smith, 40 minutes a game. Mm -hmm. Reggie Bullock is getting 40 minutes per game in a conference finals there there's yeah. just not enough talent on this team for them to compete in this series reggie bullock would have stuck somewhere if he was good enough to play 40 minutes a game had him in detroit really appreciated him we weren't a very good team and we still let him go and that man is playing 40 minutes a game in a Western Conference final, not even an Eastern Conference final. 
which is notably easier than a Western Conference final. Yeah, it's just and 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 that said, like there's still no excuse for the lack of movement in their offense. We've seen how this plays out before. And it never works well enough. Yeah, this is the issue with this heliocentric, like one guy is going to have a usage of over 50% or whatever type of offense. Is that these are the same things that Houston would run into is when the threes aren't falling, the team completely stagnates because they don't have anything else. It's all they have is like, just, okay, let Luca work. And it works to a large degree because he's incredible but it's not going to work in a high level series against a very good team in the warriors. And I I think the fact that they beat the Suns kind of threw people off the scent. I know it threw me off the scent for sure. I mean, I, I guess like, I feel dumb for not seeing this coming with how important Reggie Bullock is to this team, (laughs) you know? Well, you just didn't have him on your team. That's why. That's true. But yeah, I mean, so they, they've been really good. And like the impressive thing to me is so Golden State, they're going to make the finals at this point. Like we said, no team's ever come down from, never come back from 3-0 to win a series. This is going to be Golden State's six finals in eight years. And the thing that's been most impressive to me is the fact that they've been able to like build this team and rebuild this team and rebuild this team over and over again. You know, they build up that initial team that's like Steph and Clay and Draymond and uh, Andre Gudala and Sean Livingston and Andrew Bogut and all those guys. Mm-hmm. And then they do the Kevin Durant thing and sacrifice all their depth. I feel like so many teams would just kind of give up when Kevin Durant left. They just be like, okay, we like, we had this awesome window. We still have like Steph and Clay and like, we'll be good. And the smart thing that this, these guys did is that they didn't just let Kevin Durant leave for nothing. They made sure to get something back in D'Angelo Russell mm-hmm. and then got fortunate, fortunate enough that the Minnesota Timberwolves would go on to make what I think is going to be one of the single dumbest trades in the history of the NBA, giving up the pick that would become Jonathan Kuminga and Andrew Wiggins who like Andrew Wiggins is already better than D'Angelo Russell on his own. And he's been huge for the Warriors in this series. Wiggins was basically a meme at that point while playing in Minnesota. Like he, he put up volume numbers, but like you ask any Timberwolves fan about how they felt about him on their team there wasn't as much bitterness as there was with like Detroit fans with Andre Drummond, but it, it wasn't very positive. Yeah. But it's not like D'Angelo Russell was like great shakes for the warriors at that point. No. So to get yeah, like throwing in the first, it seems crazy, but Hey, it worked out. So. <laughs> yeah. But, and then like, just think about like if Kuminga does become a fantastic player in the future, like yeah. if he reaches close to his ceiling and they gave that up to get D'Angelo Russell, Yep. Like that is going to be brutal down the road. But yeah, I mean, even besides like just being smart and getting assets and making good trades. Yeah. So many guys on this team are drafted. Like they got Looney at pick 30. They got 
uh, Jordan Poole at pick 28. Yep. And then they'd make smart moves. Like they go out and get guys like Gary Payton from the G League. Mm-hmm. Who like, you know, he's, he's not playing because his elbow is broken, but like had a very good season for them as well. Yeah, we kind of mentioned the same thing with the Heat and the Warriors here. You know, talking about could have rebuilt. Obviously, the Heat did rebuild, but it was much quicker than a lot of people would have thought. And like, what what's the common denominator here, really? Really goes back to the coach. I think there's... I don't even know if you can fill an entire hand with the number of coaches that you could put in that class where like, yeah, they'll make it work. Uh, Obviously the heat have maximized the potential of the players on their roster. And I think that we're seeing Obviously, Steve Kerr has been huge to the development of both Steph and Clay, uh, Draymond as well. Uh, Wiggins has played his best basketball, arguably, in his career in Golden State. Certainly helps to have some of the players that he has around him. You know, the development of some of the young guys, uh, Poole, for one. Looney as well like they just keep finding guys that are good players and sometimes it's not necessarily that you find them it's more it's more so that you develop them you know what the craziest thing about this Warriors team is they're not even done yet (laughs) well besides that like we've named all of these guys that they have yeah they also have three lottery picks who like don't even play. Yeah. They have Wiseman and Kuminga who are not playing in the series and Moody who's playing limited minutes. That Wiseman pick could have been LaMelo Ball. It could have been Patrick Williams. Imagine if LaMelo Ball or Patrick Williams was on this team. It's like lunacy that they potentially missed on having the number two overall pick by drafting Wiseman who like, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but like you could have all of this talent all these great guys and have three lottery picks who are like not even contributing and still probably going to win the championship this year. Absolutely insane. And you can take these guys and package some of them next year. Like you could take like Wiggins and Wiseman and pool and go out and get someone really good for that package and then still have like Kuminga and you know, whatever superstar you bring in, like, yeah, like you said, they're not done. They're not anywhere close to being done. No, no. I mean, even just like the guys that they have on their roster, if they don't package them, like I fully expect them to develop into notably better players than they are right now like yeah certainly like Wiseman has been a disappointment to this point having been a number two overall pick and yeah I still think that he develops into a fully functional NBA player at some point could very well wind up being an above average player because he's certainly got the talent 
Yeah. And then on the other side of this, the Dallas Mavericks, like, yeah, you good for you have Luca. Good for you. That's awesome. Like he's probably going to be a future MVP, maybe multiple time MVP. But outside of that, yeah, it's 40 minutes of Reggie Bullock. It's Dorian Finney Smith, like Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is good, but like I'm adding him to the list of players that I would be very worried about giving a massive contract to. He's a free agent this year, isn't he? Yeah, it's like my list right now is like him, DeAndre Ayton, and Jordan Poole of guys who I think are going to get massive contracts in the next couple off seasons. And I little nervous about paying those guys $30 million a year. I'll put it this way. Anyone that you wouldn't give a max contract to, you shouldn't be paying $30 million because at that point it kind of just, becomes a problem with roster building and they don't give you enough to make it worth the 30 million usually. Yeah. Well, 30 million is going to be like the max rookie extension. Yeah. This off season. I think that's what De'Aaron Fox is getting paid next season is $30 million. So like that's right around where it's going to be. And I think like Deandre, and I already said that he's going to get that this off season. Yeah, I think Jalen Brunson is going to be looking for something in the twenties at least. And then Jordan Poole's got one more year at a low contract, but I'm sure he's going to be looking yeah. to get paid soon too. So yeah. I, I, mean, I nervous I about would those guys. Say that Aiton probably has the best chance to rise above that, come close to being worth that. I, I'm very particular about <laughs> choosing to play pay players such high quantities of money but this past series has put a very sour taste in a lot of people's mouth with him and a lot of other players on the suns including chris ball and devin booker but before that series it was considered sheer lunacy that the suns might not bring him back yeah i think if you would have asked people after last season the playoffs last year they would have said that Aiden's probably worth the 25 or the 30 million whatever the extension ends up being and things have changed and kind of gotten to the point where I think someone might be able to steal him away from the Suns uh, although he is a restricted free agent so they have the right to match yeah but it does seem like he might be available in a trade which we're going to talk about here in just a sec but the only other thing I wanted to mention about Dallas's roster so Tim Hardaway's hurt which is tough for them, but like he is not going to be the difference in this series. Guess how much money Dallas has committed to this roster next year before re-signing Jalen Brunson? I'm gonna guess 85 million more. They have a hundred and fifty million on the books next year before signing Jalen Brunson. Who the fuck are they paying? I mean, I know, I know that Tim Hardaway's got a big deal. I'm well aware of that. Who the hell else are they paying? Next year, Luca's uh, max extension kicks in. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. But outside of him, so Luca's going to be at about 36 million next year. 
which that's fair. Yeah, but that's fine. Like I'd pay that's actually a steal. <laughs> Let me tell you who else they're paying. God, 19- if you are a Dallas fan, just turn it off right now. Turn this off because this is brutal. So they have 151.6 million uh, on the books for next year. Tim Hardaway, 19.6. Spencer Dinwiddie, 18. D- Davis Bertans, 16 million. Fuck. Dwight Powell, 12 million. Dorian Finney-Smith, 12 million. Maxi Kleba, 9 million. And then are you, are you ready for the kicker? This is my favorite one. Reggie Bullock, $10 million next season. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do to put someone next to Luca. Good Lord. And this is without Jalen Brunson having a deal. The idea for their roster building was, hey, we have Luca. Let's just sign excessive quantities of mediocre players. The real issue for them is that it all goes back to that Kristaps Porzingis trade and extension. Yeah. They trade for him and give him a max extension before he's even played a game for them. And now like you're and it, like, I get it. I get the idea at the time. It's like, damn, we got Luca and Kristaps. Like this is going to be a dynamic duo. And Kristaps never got back to being the player he was. No. So when they traded him to the wizards, they had to do salary matching and they took on Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Mm-hmm for 19 and 16 or whatever I said they were getting paid. And you can honestly make an argument that like Dinwiddie's close to worth that. Yeah. Like he's a very good player. Bertans is hard to swallow. (laughs) Yeah. So it's this team. It's the same team that we're watching, but possibly without Jalen Brunson. And I don't know what you do because you traded your 2021 first round pick and your 2023 first round pick in the Kristaps deal. So you can't trade your first this year. You can't trade your 24 first. You have a couple of years until you can even trade a first. So uh, tough spot for the Mavericks. And like, you just look at like the heat and golden state and like the flexibility and the players and the depth and then like Dallas. And it's like, God, you guys fucked having Luca on a rookie deal. And now you're going to lose that edge forever because he's going to get paid whatever the max salary in the league is in perpetuity. Yeah. So tough for Mavs fans. They tried to build a dynasty right off the bat with him by getting Kristaps and they missed so hard that they never had a chance to build around him. Yep. Well, they also traded their 19 first in the deal for Luca. They gave up uh Trey young in the 19 first for Luca, which you, you do a thousand times out of a thousand. You absolutely do that. But so no 19 first pick. And then they traded the 21 and the 23 for Chris So no pick in 19, no pick in 21, no pick in 23 guys that could have been solid pieces for them around Luca if you don't make that Kristaps deal. I think that it's that's going to haunt them for a long time is making that deal for Kristaps too soon. One more topic I wanted to go over with you real quick. There's been rumors flying around from the NBA combine that was hosted this past weekend. Uh, so I have a couple rumors here and I want to see if you're buying or selling these rumors. Uh, the Kings are either going to explore a trade down from four 
to add a rotation player and a later pick, or they're going to trade it out completely for an impact veteran. Buy or sell? I buy it because that's just their track record. <laughs> yeah, I'm 100% buying this. I already talked about it on the last episode, how we're going to trade this pick. There Actually, I've heard some deals that I don't mind. One that's been floated recently that was interesting is number four for Malcolm Brogdon and number six. You still maybe hang in there and get like a Keegan Murray or like a Shaden Sharp or something like that. And you get Malcolm Brogdon out of that to be the third guard along with Fox and Mitchell. I don't hate that one. Uh, I heard the pick swap with like trading Rashawn Holmes and four for Jeremy Grant and five. I don't think that's super realistic. I don't know if you give up Jeremy Grant to move up one spot. No, no, I think that's, that's a bit much. No. Yeah. I think like something that might be a little bit more realistic is like if they trade with the Hornets and it's like PJ Washington, something else in 13 for four might like, might make a little more sense, but that's still a little too much to give up if you're the Kings. Something I, could definitely see them doing is trading that pick completely for an impact veteran. And I want to get your take on this fake trade idea. Number four, Rashawn Holmes and whatever else you got to do for salary matching purposes, sign and trade DeAndre Ayton from the Suns. The Suns are not going to hold on to him anyway, it seems like. So the Suns give him his max rookie extension, the five-year one instead of the four-year one he would get somewhere else and trade him to the Kings. You get Holmes, who's a good center, and then you get the number four pick and you get your Chris Paul insurance by drafting like a Jaden Ivey. You start building the future around Booker and Miles Bridges. I could see the Suns doing that. Um I can see why the Kings would do that. Especially like if you're going to really try and win with, with Fox then you got to get him help. My question is, is that the right help? And I would probably lean no, but as we've talked about on this podcast before, the right help might be the type of player that Fox specifically doesn't want to play with. So <laughs> secondary ball handler, uh, alternatively De'Aaron Fox for Deandre Ayton, who says no, probably the Suns. Well, the Suns need a future point guard with Chris Paul getting up there and his contracts coming up soon. And they're not going to hang on to DeAndre Ayton anyway. I think they have to trade DeAndre Ayton. I think they got to match the max offer and then trade DeAndre Ayton. I I get that they need a future point guard. However, De'Aaron Fox to me is like the anti-Chris Paul. I don't know that that's the direction they want to go in for that. I just think it's interesting. And then if you're the Kings, you have Sabonis and Aiton, and then you draft Ivy as the De'Aaron Fox replacement. So, um, yeah, I guess I kind of like keep forgetting about you guys having Sabonis trading for Aiton makes a little bit more sense. I just think that 
a secondary ball handler is probably more important for this roster. Yeah, I agree with you, but I think they're with Fox's uh, not wanting to play with a second ball handler. I think they're just going to rely on Sabonis to be the secondary playmaker, which he's great at. So that's not the worst thing in the world, but you need another guy who can dribble. There is a tertiary playmaker. Yes, that's true. Um, which is why I kind of like the Malcolm Brogdon deal. Cause then you have Brogdon yeah. and Fox and then, you know, um, yeah, Brogdon's great when he actually plays mm-hmm. rumor two: the Blazers and Pelicans are looking to trade their picks for help. Yeah, I buy it. I mean, both of those franchises. Well, let me rephrase this. Portland is not accustomed to missing the playoffs, and there is certainly internal pressure from Dame probably trying to win now. The Pelicans need to do something to get into the playoffs next year to make themselves appear like a appealing long-term home for Zion. Which is sad that they're already having to appeal to Zion. Another fake trade, Yusuf Nurkic, Anthony Simons, and the number seven pick for DeAndre Ayton. It'd have to be like a double sign-in trade because both those guys need new deals. Yeah. Don't see that happening. I mean, obviously... Nurk's health issues are well-documented. Very talented when he's on the floor, but not being on the floor was kind of a problem. Uh, I think they're high, really high on both Anthony Simons and Nasir Little uh, going forward. And I think breaking up the possibility of having both Simons and Little next year to come back with a healthy Dame is probably something that they want to avoid. But obviously, if you're going to try and add a big name, you're going to have to give up something. I would I would believe moving Nurkic and the pick, I think that it would have to be a pretty big name for them to start looking at either of those other guys. I could see it happening if they think Aiton's going to be really good and want to pair him with like Dame and maybe some of the other guys they have on that roster. Um, I think the seventh pick is not as valuable as like, I kind of feel like the tiers right now are like, there's like the top three picks and then the next three picks. Yeah. And then there's like another fall off after six. I don't think any of these trades occur unless it's like in the moment because we don't know how the, this board is going to shake out. I mean, really after like, honestly, I, I couldn't even tell you who's going in what order in the top, like three or four. Yeah. We, we could see, you know, would not be shocked if, you know, someone like Shaden Sharp drops to like six or seven and suddenly it becomes significantly more valuable. Yeah, that's why I don't want the Kings to do anything with four until the night of the draft. 
mm-hmm. while they're sitting on the clock. Like, go ahead and get a deal in place, but don't pull the trigger until you see what happens in the top three. Which actually brings me to the last rumor. Uh, and I, I, by the way, I also buy the fact that the Blazers and Pelicans may try to trade their picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, last rumor, Jabari Smith is locked in as the number one pick in this draft. Yeah, buy it. That's probably where I'd go. That's also where I would go, but I'm going to sell this rumor because much like the NFL draft where I told you that Jacksonville was going to do something stupid, this is the Orlando Magic. And I kind of feel like they may go for like, I don't like not higher upside in my opinion, but maybe like the more unicornish prospect in Chet Holmgren rather than Jabari Smith, who's like probably going to be a little more solid as a rookie, you know, probably like relatively, you know, ceiling is going to be high. He's my favorite player in the draft, Jabari Smith, but I can see the magic just being like, but Chet Holmgren, like I could see them going Holmgren instead. Not as much as I yeah. saw the Jacksonville Jaguars doing that. Like I'm not betting a bunch of money on it. Like I did on Jacksonville taking Trayvon Walker, but I could just see them not making the solid pick and opting for something that's a little bit more flashy. What if uh, he already knows he's their guy and that's why he was making all those like wild statements about as soon as he's drafted, he's the best player in the league. Yeah. Does that affect his draft stock at all to you? <gasps> Shoots him right to the top. No, <laughs> I kind of, I like kind of downgrade him a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't I, like it. Yeah. I don't, I don't love that because it tells me that at the very least, like his first couple months in the league are going to be rough. First things first, dude needs to put on weight. I know he said that he does eat food and he does lift weights, and that's all well and good. But at a certain point, you've got to have some weight in order to not get just completely knocked over because physics is real. Yeah, it's a lot of talk for a guy who's uh, weighs less than I do. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a skinny guy. I'm only 165 pounds, uh, which I'm just kidding. But one more thing before we sign off, uh, the Celtics are up by 20 in the second quarter. Tatum's already got 16 points, so they're well on their way to tying this series. But we'll see how the rest of this goes, because if these playoffs have taught us anything, a 20-point lead means nothing. 20-point lead now is like a five point lead like 20 years ago. Yeah. It used to be like a death sentence to be down by 20. It was like over, but, uh, that is it for us. As always, fouled out can be found on Spotify, Apple podcast, pocket cast, overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at fouled out sports. You can find Matt on Twitter at matador underscore defense. And you can find our videos on TikTok at fouled out podcast. Matt, you got any final thoughts before we sign off? Um, basically just hoping that the heat don't fuck this up so that I can make money on this parlay. Oh, they'll fuck it up now that you said that. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) All right. I'm going to go watch the rest of this game. I will see you guys soon. So bye guys. Bye Robin. Bye mom. (laughs) 